0: Welcome to Humanly, the podcast providing allied health and integrative medicine practitioners with the most up-to-date, evidence-based and clinically relevant information. This podcast is a melting pot of ideas on health and wellbeing and does not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hello everyone and welcome to Humanly. My name's Daniel Reuters and today I'm joined by Maria Schafflender. Hey Maria, how are you going?
1: I'm great, thanks Daniel, how are you?
0: Doing really well. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Great to be here.
0: <laughs> You're a clinical nutritionist and you've been in practice for many years and you've got a special interest in hair mineral analysis and I find that really fascinating. It's a area that I've been interested in for um, quite some time myself and it's really exciting to have you here because I'm interested in learning more about it. So Do you mind sort of giving a brief introduction about yourself and how you got involved and originally interested in hair mineral analysis?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my fascination with the very misunderstood test of hair mineral analysis started um, right at the beginning of my clinical practice and it was actually because my son was quite unwell at the time. So I think he was around – four or five years old at the time and he was just having this chronic insomnia which was driving me crazy and my adrenals crazy and there didn't seem to be any reason for it. So I started investigating that with a chiropractic practitioner who was using hair analysis and um, he very quickly you know, after ordering the test, spotted that he had quite a lot of heavy metal toxicity, he was deficient in zinc and magnesium and was just really stressed. He had a very stressed nervous system at the time. So we addressed that with a few simple supplements and it just completely resolved the entire issue and actually improved his concentration and his ability to learn because he detoxed all the metals. So I just found it fascinating and then as soon as I started practicing, I started using hair analysis with pretty much every client um, in clinic, you know, 98% of clients and I just find it's such a great tool and it's a great starting point to actually understand, you know, what's going on with the broader picture of the person in front of you, what's going on with their stress, their immune system toxicity mood you know it just provides such a broad spectrum of information and we know that minerals are absolutely fundamental to our health so anything that's unbalanced with them is going to have some major consequences so yeah i just i love using it and have done a lot of research and uh, mentoring as well in terms of actually correctly interpreting the test because it is a little bit tricky Uh, and putting it together with the case of the person in front of me. So I think there's a little bit of an art to it as well. Uh, But once you get that and once you master it, it becomes an incredible tool.
0: Yeah, I have uh, seen some of your work with your um, education group that you've got there. You've got a number of practitioners who are all really engaged and they're using hair mineral analysis a lot. And It seems like you're certainly leading the way with uh, hair mineral analysis, which is amazing to see. For those listeners who haven't heard of a hair mineral analysis before, are you able to describe what it actually is what it involves and why we would actually do it for our clients?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a hair sample test. So you take a sample of your client's hair or they can do it themselves um, from the back of the head and, you know, there's a few criteria. It has to be uncolored hair ideally and um, it has to be a certain length and from the back of the head, um, the occipital region. And it usually goes to a lab in the US. I think there's now a couple of local labs that have popped up as well, but the well-established labs are in the US and uh, it gets analysed through, you know, special um, equipment that they have developed for this um, specific test and the profile that it provides looks at the mineral storage and excretion of that person for the past, you know, 3 to 4 months prior to the the hair being cut. Um so I think what's often misunderstood and where there's a bit of controversy is that people are comparing this test to bloods. You know, blood pathology um which, you know, it's looking at completely different things. So Blood is looking at what's coming in and out of the body, you know, what's (laughs) travelling essentially. So it's not actually a really good indicator of mineral storage in particular because minerals are not stored in blood. They're transient in blood. So hair is a lot more useful to understand what's actually being stored and what's being excreted and um, the toxic metals as well. So it's extremely helpful for the toxic metals because, as we know, blood levels um, for toxicity, uh, you know, things like mercury and lead, are only going to be elevated when there's been acute exposure. So if someone's had, you know, mercury poisoning, it's going to show up in the bloods in the next two to three days. But after that, the body stores those away. So they're not going to be circulating in the blood and being toxic. Um, so hair is really important to help us understand what's being stored in the body and also it's a really great tool to understand someone's stress patterns and stress levels so there's this whole concept of metabolic types or some labs call them oxidative types and they actually are based on the calcium and phosphorus ratio in the report and they tell us whether someone is a slow metabolizer or a fast metabolizer, and those characteristics have a a huge impact on how everything works in our bodies and how particularly our nervous system works. So it's the only test that I think actually gives us a really deep understanding of the adrenal situation, much more so than no saliva cortisol or something like that. And it gives us a long-term pattern So, you know, what is this individual's response to stress long-term? So I find, yeah, just explaining that to people and showing them the chart is really powerful because it's quantified and they can see the pattern and they can read the report. So it's also really motivating for a person to see their progress, you know, between one test and the next um, after they've done the nutritional balancing treatment.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad to be talking to you today because I've actually got some um, questions around hair mineral analysis, and it's certainly not something that I understand particularly well. But I have some ideas or understanding around it, and hopefully, you can uh, absolutely point me yeah in right direction with these things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, firstly, I guess the main point that comes up for me is that as practitioners, yeah. we don't often think about the importance of balancing minerals and minerals interact with each other in such a way that is far more complex complex and complicated than, say, giving water-soluble vitamins. So through hair analysis, are we able to work out what minerals someone might be deficient in? Is it a good mm-hmm. reflection of tissue stores?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, especially, you know, the big four minerals that have such a strong impact on everything in the body, the calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, you know, the big four that regulate blood pressure and bone density and the nervous system, you know, they're so important and are present in large quantities in the body. So if we can understand how they're relating to each other and how they're relating to um everything else that's going on that gives you so much information about you know cardiovascular health the nervous system bone health like so many aspects of our health rely on mineral balance and unfortunately yeah we can't really get that information anywhere else so yeah I find it absolutely fundamental it's like a map I find it's it's a um, once I get that test result, it's like a map that then can help me navigate everything else that needs to be looked at, and possibly even bloods that need to be ordered to clarify some things or other tests. Um, yeah, it's just a really great starting point to give you a really uh, you know overall picture of the health.
0: So I might be oversimplifying things here, but if you see a low mineral in a hair mineral analysis test, does that mean that they're necessarily deficient or could it be interpreted in a number of ways?
1: It can definitely be interpreted in a number of ways. So what I teach in my training is um, to look for certain patterns of hair analysis, right? So we don't look at any one thing individually. It has to be looked at in the context of everything else. So, for example, a really common pattern that comes up is adrenal fatigue, right? Everyone sees adrenal fatigue in clinic. You know, (laughs) the world is adrenally fatigued. So um, that can come up as two types of patterns on hair analysis. It can be low sodium and potassium or, you know, the relationship can be off between those two or it can be really high, like coming off the chart, sodium and potassium. So both of them tell you that there's an adrenal issue so then we need to have a look at everything else is going on and ask okay is this person stressed what are their physiological and emotional stressors because for example with high sodium potassium a lot of the time it's actually heavy metal toxicity so then you can have a look at that part of the report and go right okay this person's really toxic This is creating a physiological stressor that will resolve once we do a detox program. Or, you know, if they're really low on sodium potassium, that's, you know, most of the time that's a really great indicator that they need adrenal support and they need lifestyle and dietary and supplement interventions to improve their adrenal function. So yeah, I mean the short answer is it depends, but it's it's really not that tricky to tell once you know what you're looking for.
0: Okay, so my next question would be then, just say we're looking at toxic elements, so toxic minerals mm-hmm. or heavy metals, and someone's been exposed to a, a heavy metal. Is it possible for that mineral that that heavy metal, to be present in the tissue but low in the hair because the body's trying to store it in the tissue uh, and it's basically not wanting to detoxify it? Absolutely,
1: yeah. uh, Okay, so can you
0: explain that a little bit more to me because that's something I've always wanted to find out more about.
1: Yeah, so look, I think there's also this sort of misconception or like a false expectation that heavy metals will always be thrown out in the hair and will be showing up on a report. So that's not the case a lot of the time, particularly if you have someone who is adrenally fatigued. So if someone is a slow metabolizer and they've got all these adrenal issues showing up, their body's capacity to detoxify heavy metals is going to be really low. So usually, you know, their thyroid will be impacted and everything else will be um, slow, you know, including their detox. So usually on those types of reports, you won't really see heavy metal show up on the first instance. So that's where you go through the patient's you know history and their exposure and their intergenerational history, and you know we can talk more about that because that's pretty interesting. Uh, you know their toxic exposure throughout the generations and their lifetime, and you can pretty much assess the risk and understand okay there's going to be some heavy metals in this person, they're not showing up, you know, maybe we need to support it with another test, like, you know, stool heavy metals, or do we just start rebalancing their good minerals and, you know, put that zinc through, put that magnesium and selenium through, which are really great for detoxification, and then see what shows up on the second report. Now, sometimes, you know, I've got a case study in my course where, it's taken someone five years to start showing metals on their hair analysis and it only happened after this person started doing coffee enemas as part of their weekly, you know, twice weekly, I think, routine. So it can actually take quite some time. So I wouldn't take it as face value and just go, oh, no, you know, they're, they're clean, they're not showing up any metals, they're, they don't need detoxification. And I think also just the the environment that we have today, you pretty much have to suspect some heavy metal toxicity in every single human because of, you know, the situation that we're in with industry and pollutants and all of those things. So, yeah, I'm always very sceptical when something doesn't show up with heavy metals at all on someone's hair analysis.
0: Okay, that's good because that's sort of how I've always understood uh, to interpret that test. So at least I wasn't completely off the mark there. But then in saying that, you may be more concerned if you are seeing heavy metals on the hair mineral analysis because that Well, could that mean that there's current exposure or or recent exposure? Or does it just mean that there's an active detoxification process happening?
1: It's a bit of both, yeah. So if you are seeing them show up readily on the first hair analysis, and that's usually the case with children, um, you know, because unfortunately children have proportionately much higher levels of toxicity today. So usually when you do a kid's hair analysis, you'll see some lead and mercury and arsenic and aluminium showing up and that that is a sign that they are clearing some of those and we're seeing that excreted in the hair, which is great, but it's also a sign of, you know, I call it the tip of the iceberg. So whatever's showing up on the hair is probably just a small portion of what's actually stored in the body. So then you can definitely undertake some active detoxification.
0: Now you were just mentioning before about this intergenerational history and I'm interested to find out more about that. So is that sort of along the lines of heavy metals and various toxins being passed down from um, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather? Is that yeah, what you were discussing? Yeah, discuss- right. exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. So when um, – and I started getting more into this a little bit more recently in the last couple of years – um, on the intake questionnaire, getting into a lot of detail around family occupational history and asking, you know, as far as people can remember, usually, you know, you can get grandparents' and parents' um, history. Some people know their great-grandparents' occupations and where they lived. So it's about, yeah, the occupation and where they lived for most of their life and also things like, you know, smoking, alcohol, um, all the things that we know contribute to toxicity. But what I'm finding a lot of the time is, um, especially if my client is a, a child on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, or they have pyroluria, or you know, there's a whole bunch of toxic like symptoms going on, 90% of the time when we go back through their history, there's going to be someone who worked in mining, or someone who was a mechanic, or someone who um, was exposed to metals in any way, so building, welding, painting, um, farming, you know, so all the most toxic occupations and looking at where those people lived as well. So, you know, I've got quite a few clients. I'm in New South Wales and there's a lot of people who – have someone down the line who worked in Newcastle Steelworks or they worked in Hunter Valley Mining or they lived up in the Northern Territory and worked in mining. So I think in Australia we have quite um, a lot of exposure to that, unfortunately. So it's really important to go back through that and also not just heavy metals but looking for all environmental toxins. So hairdressers, you know, um, printers, Uh, Anyone who really worked in with chemicals, furniture makers, I've had, you know, you know that those things, even though we can't see them on the hair analysis, add to the total toxic load and are likely to be an issue um, presenting with detoxification. So, yeah, it's fascinating. You know, when you start doing it, and I would just encourage practitioners to start digging for those things and asking the questions, and you know, have even a separate part of your intake form which is just looking at toxicity if this is what you see a lot of in clinic um, because it just then becomes really obvious and explains a lot of the conditions you know particularly if you're working with oncology or neurodegenerative disorders you know ALS, Alzheimer's or autism um, all of those things will usually have a, a strong foundation in toxicity so Yeah, and I just, I find it fascinating, it's just anecdotal evidence, just tracking what's happened in these families, (laughs) you know, Um, and a lot of the time people haven't even put it together themselves, you know, once we go through it, they're just sort of completely taken aback by how obvious it all is, and what people don't realise is that those things accumulate, you know, they don't disappear from our bodies unless we do something about it, So, they just bioaccumulate like mercury bioaccumulates in tuna, um, you know, from one generation to the next. So, yeah, it's a bit of a scary concept, but I just find it's really interesting to look into to help us understand what's going on with that person.
0: Yeah, I guess it could be perceived as a bit disconcerting or scary, as you say, but it's better to know than than not to know. And then once we find out, we can actually do something about Absolutely.
1: it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: In regards to uh, seeing the presence of heavy metals in hair or, say, low levels of certain minerals and things, obviously there's a lot of endogenous factors that can affect that. So our exposure in the environment and our diet and various Um, things like smoking and what have you but are there any like exogenous factors which can impact what we're seeing on a hair mineral analysis so um, you know like hair dyes or hair sprays or coloring or things like that Uh, should we be considerate of that when we're undertaking these tests for our clients
1: definitely yeah so I think you know the big important thing is to make sure that the hair is uncolored you know because a lot of hair colors will contain minerals Um, in one form or another and usually a whole bunch of toxic chemicals but yeah they they will have part of their color structure will be a mineral structure so ideally you want people to have some regrowth if they've colored their hair and I will usually ask them to wait for that so you know if they've just freshly colored their hair it should be four to six weeks at least and they can get some clean regrowth um, there are some people who use pubic hair samples but it's, they're not really reliable um, as far as the lab's advice because their um, the rate of growth is different to head hair. So in terms of um, showing us mineral levels, they're not really useful but they're still representative for heavy metals. So if your objective is mainly to assess the heavy metals, then a pubic hair sample is fine as well. Um, And another thing often comes up is, you know, men who are balding or bald, they can still collect the hair. So they just need to collect all the shavings, you know, off the side of their head um, because the sample is measured by weight. So it's not a, a, you know, length sample. Um, It's not really important how long the hair is. It's just as long as you have a certain weight to the sample. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, and just making sure that the sample is taken with clean scissors, that they're not rusty, you know, which will have its own issues. Um, so, yeah, I think just following the guidelines in relation to that is, is a good practice.
0: And does it matter where the hair sample is taken from along the length of the hair? Does it need to be closer towards the skin um, or further away from the skin, does that impact the results?
1: yeah, so ideally, it's as close to the scalp as possible because you're getting the most recent growth, you know, so everyone's hair grows at slightly different rates. But if you want the most recent information, you want to just keep the closest to the scalp um one inch of hair, so that will provide the most recent result um and you want to be taking it from the back of the head so Also, the labs usually recommend taking it from a few different spots rather than just one spot. Um, But, you know, just in practice, I haven't found that to make any difference, to be honest. But, you know, that's the the recommendation is to try and get it from a few different spots and put it all in the same sample.
0: Okay. So if you take that sample and we get the results back, how long... Or what time frame can we say that the results reflect? Is it the past month, three months, six months? Is that possible to to deduce? Yeah,
1: yeah. The labs usually will tell us that it's between three to four months is the the time period that we're looking at. But what I find is that a lot of people have very um, obvious long term patterns. So even though, you know, that might be looking at just the three or four months, when you do several hair analyses, you know, over a period of time for that person, you'll see that they keep coming up with the same pattern. So it doesn't greatly change, you know, their zinc might change from 9 to 12 or something, but they still have a copper zinc issue if it hasn't been addressed. So I find it's a really great long-term trend representation, particularly when it comes to adrenals and thyroid because you know minerals don't shift in our body as quickly as we probably think they do so you know to change someone's um sodium and potassium adrenal status might take a couple of years you know of really diligent work or you know to change someone's calcium absorption in the body will take quite a long time um so I find with adults, they're usually very reflective of a chronic long-term issue. With kids, they do change more frequently. So, um, you know, kids' metabolism and the treatment that you give them is very quick um, to respond, you know, they're quick to respond to it. So um, they do change much more um, obviously, you know, from one analysis to the next.
0: Absolutely, and that sort of makes a lot of sense um, with sort of what I teach as well when I do my blood test webinars and courses that you know if you're looking at a blood test it's only a snapshot in time so it's a really good idea to take multiple tests over um periods of weeks to months to look at some of these trends and patterns so you were mentioning that there are many patterns to look out for and that there are some of these um common things that practitioners uh, may come across. So I'm really interested in finding out a little bit more about um, these patterns if you're able to talk to that.
1: Yeah, well, I can give you a few um, common examples. So, I mean, I cover a lot of them in the course in you know, a lot more detail, but just to provide an example. So a lot of the time um, these days we're seeing, you know, pyroluria present as an issue and all sorts of behavioural and mood issues that go with that So, you know, the most obvious thing to look for with that is what's happening with zinc and copper and um, usually mercury is involved in that as well because when we're deficient in zinc, the body will store more mercury. So, yeah, that's a really important one to look at if you have anyone with mood issues or, you know, children's developmental disorders, ADHD, learning difficulties, sensory processing disorders, Uh, or just you know angry difficult children (laughs) Um, it's really important to look at the copper and zinc so I think a common mistake that people make is they will just look at the absolute levels so you know just looking at what the copper number is and what the zinc number is and a lot of the time I found you know in my mentoring people miss the ratios and the relationship between the two which is really really important so If you just visually look at that report and the zinc doesn't look too bad, it's very tempting to just think, oh, well, your zinc is not an issue. But you have to have a look at the copper to zinc ratio and most of the time that's what's going to be out because you want those two minerals to be in the right relationship to each other. So that's a really important tip, I think, you know, just start looking at the ratios. And in the course, you know, I go through a lot of detail and explain, you know, which ratio means what and you know what they represent. But um, you know, the reports provide all that information as well. So it's yeah, really important to understand the ratios Um, and um, other patterns that often come up. The adrenal and the thyroid one I mentioned. So usually, if someone's thyroid is working suboptimally, even though their bloods might look completely fine medically. Um, they might still be getting the symptoms. So, you know, so many people today, particularly women, have these, you know, subclinical hyperthyroid symptoms like depression, slow bowels, weight gain, um, fatigue, you know, cold hands and feet, all these symptoms that we know are to do with thyroid health, but their bloods will look completely normal, which is really frustrating. So on the hair, you will be able to see that and that will be your high calcium. So... When calcium is out of range, when it's too high, that's telling you that the metabolic rate has been really slowed down. So you're going to expect to have thyroid issues. So, usually, that's coupled with the low sodium potassium, which is your low adrenals. (laughs) So, you know, we know that adrenals influence our thyroid state a lot. Um, So, yeah, they're really, really common um, patterns that can be seen. And there's, you know, a whole bunch of different other variables that we can look at. You know, for example, if someone's really stressed and they've had chronic long-term severe stress, they will have um, what we call four lows pattern where, you know, their calcium, magnesium, sodium and potassium, everything's low. So the nervous system's basically burnt out and depleted to a state where, you know, the person's hardly functioning. And I'm sure everyone's had one of those patients in clinic. So you'll be able to tell, you know, by looking at those things where they're at and how much support they need.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the things that practitioners either don't fully appreciate or they take for granted is mineral status. And once mineral status has been disrupted, it can be quite difficult to correct it again. So it's, is it? just as simple as providing a mineral supplement to someone or do you need to be a bit more targeted with your approach? Yeah, uh, with...
1: yeah I think, you know, one of the main things that um, I find hair analysis can be really helpful with is to be the beginning of your gut health investigations. So um, what you can see on the hair with that sodium potassium particularly and just the general overall level of minerals is how well is someone absorbing their food and how well is someone absorbing all of their minerals so again you know if you have that low sodium potassium coming up that's going to be telling you that their hydrochloric acid is suboptimal you know and they're just they're not breaking down protein so if the sodium potassium are low it's really really tricky for us to actually absorb protein which then of course has so many consequences you know for mood and the immune system and uh, everything you know we need protein for everything. so then it's kind of it's not just about oh well, let's give them some salt and some potassium. it's you know why is it that their hydrochloric acid is in this state? you know so are they stressed? are they short of the minerals that help us produce stomach acid like your zinc and B6 and B1? um are they um you know struggling with enzymes um what's going on with their you know gluten sensitivity or other things so then you can ask a whole bunch of questions that are quite targeted to help you understand what's going on i find you know most of the time everyone is so stressed (laughs) these days that It's really as simple as they're in a fight-and-flight state most of the day and their digestion's been shut down. So they're not in rest and digest, um, which basically will reduce your stomach acid. So I think, yeah, understanding why things are low, if they're low is really important, and then you can decide on, okay, what do I need to supplement? How do I need to adjust their diet or how do I need to support their um, absorption and digestion? Do I need to then do a gut test, you know, to understand what's going on with their SIBO or their bacterial balance, uh, which, you know, often is a pretty big requirement. And um, yeah, it, and just work it out individually. But it just gives you a really great starting platform to understand that.
0: Anytime I've ever done a hair mineral analysis test, I've always run it in combination with a red blood cell element test, which also gives a breakdown of all the minerals and toxic elements in the blood as well, and then compared that to what's in the hair. Do you think that's necessary or can you get enough information from the hair mineral analysis by itself?
1: Um, I think it depends. Depends on the case. So potentially with blood elements, definitely if you've got low iron showing up on the hair, oh, that's a must, you know, to investigate on bloods because obviously blood is the best um, test to look at iron and what's happening with the transport and levels. Um, I think beyond that, um It's actually, I think you're able to get a lot of information from the hair. It's prudent to do the bloods anyway, you know, because we get so much information from that as well. But I wouldn't be trying to compare, you know, blood sodium potassium to hair sodium potassium because the minerals in the blood were going to be kept at a really tight range at the expense of the tissue storage. And that's, I think, the big, you know, controversy with, you know, my hair test doesn't match my bloods. It's not supposed to. So, you know, the body will always prioritize the blood minerals to have, you know, to be in that tight range at the expense of bone and tissue levels. And that's why people get depleted with calcium and magnesium, for example, because they're so acidic and those minerals keep getting drawn drawn out of bone to buffer the acidity in the blood. So that's where, you know, they end up with um, osteoporosis and all sorts of things. But, um, yeah, I don't think you need to compare it, you know, side by side. I think both are helpful to understand the complete picture of what's going on, but they're not going to match up usually. And even with um, copper and zinc, and I've had this conversation many times with lots of practitioners, um there's a lot of protocols out there with, you know, just looking at copper and zinc bloods and ceruloplasmin, for example, to understand mental health or pyroluria or, you know, someone's methylation status with histamine and things like that. I think um, it's a lot more effective to look at the hair for copper and zinc. You know, I'm not saying don't do the bloods. It's good. If you can do both, great. Great. Um, But a lot of the time, you know, with children, for example, getting blood drawn is quite tricky. So I think hair can be really, really valuable because it will show copper storage. So lots of times, um, you know, I would have done the bloods and they look completely fine. You know, copper will be completely within the range in bloods and then I'll do a hair analysis and it's off the chart. So, yeah, you just have to be careful and look at both areas because, hair is showing us what's in storage and what's been built up in the system.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's a good point that you bring up there. And I guess that was um, another thing that I wanted to ask you with the compliance as well. So getting bloods drawn is obviously pretty time consuming. It can be painful. There's a lot of risks associated with that, but the hair mineral analysis says, almost well very little to no risk involved and there's a lot of really good benefits around it so it's um, relatively easy for people to do and it's pretty affordable for a a lot of um, patients as well and one thing I've noticed recently well probably over the last few years is that um, practitioners are prescribing more and more and more of these really expensive functional tests mm. as a sort of standard baseline investigation. I think, well, surely there's other things that can be done before we go out and request a five or six hundred dollar test for our client. Um, I think hair mineral analysis could be, Of those things, would you agree with that statement?
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's definitely my starting point. You know, I would not order, uh, you know, a Dutch hormonal test or um, an organic acids test as the first point of investigation. You know, you need to have a basic overview and a basic starting point. And a lot of the time, you know, for lots and lots of people, things are really obvious on the hair analysis, and when you tell them. What you're seeing in the report, usually they're kind of sitting there, completely blown away, and just go, "How did you know that? You know, and how how <laughs> did that come up? You know, because even emotional things. And uh, yeah, you can get so much information out of that. So you know, when budgets an issue, or bloods um, are an issue, or even you know when they're not, it's just a really great starting point for further investigation if needed. So I find a lot of the time, probably the most common one that I will still do after hair analysis would be a gut analysis because that's really tricky. You know, that's you need to actually do that stool test to understand what's going on. Um, But yeah, with, you know, a lot of the testing that goes on um, with adrenals and Um, yeah copper and zinc bloods and all those sort of things a lot of the time that stuff is really obvious just looking at the hair and unnecessary so someone can be putting those funds towards the actual treatment um, that you can recommend versus like spending more money on getting information that's already there
0: yeah absolutely that's a really good point you can redirect those um investments into other areas which are going to provide more benefit and yield for the client now with hair mineral testing i know you're probably going to say it's um, uh, specific for each individual but how frequently would you be retesting someone say if you were trying to balance their minerals or you were trying or you were detoxifying someone Mm -hmm. would you do it every month every three months six months what's your sort of Um, go to there with the uh, amount of time between tests?
1: Yeah, I usually put that into two categories. So that would be acute, you know, so someone um, has a very acute pattern, like, you know, they have highly stressed um, indicators and a lot of toxicity and, you know, usually that's probably children or just someone who's going through something very acute. So they can do um, quite well testing more frequently. I still would probably not um, do it any time less than three months because you just need even that time you know, for the hair to grow and for your treatment to take effect. So I'd say children and acute cases three or four months is a good time to retest. And then if you've got someone with a chronic pattern, you know, they're not really going to have massive detectable changes happen very quickly. So I would say usually five to six months. And I think that works well for most people financially as well. You know, they can give the treatment a really good go and then you retest it and see what's changed and readjust the treatment. Um, But I think the main thing there is just to um, explain to your patients, your clients, that this is not a one-off sort of look at their body chemistry. So the people who do best in their health um, stick with doing the hair analysis for a few years until they resolve, you know, 95% of their symptoms. So it's something that can be used to measure their progress, um, but it's definitely not one of those, you know, oh, I've just, taken my supplements for two months and now I'm all better (laughs) you know it's it's just something that they need to commit to as a a measurement of their overall health and um, you know they can make the lifestyle changes and dietary changes and take their supplements and herbs and see the results of that so I find it's that actually improves compliance um, with people as well because they understand that they'll getting they'll get a retest and, you know, see the changes visually, which is really motivating.
0: And that's one thing that many practitioners struggle with is compliance. So it's interesting to hear you saying that the hair manual analysis can help with compliance, which I think is fantastic. So another another, um, really good point there. In your experience, what are the most commonly elevated heavy metals That you're seeing in your clients and where do you think those heavy metals are coming from? What are the common sources and what can people do to sort of avoid being exposed to these things?
1: Yeah, well, I definitely would have to raise mercury as the main um, culprit. That's probably the most common one and unfortunately one of the more toxic ones that is really commonly elevated in both adults and children. I find with adults it's usually with um, history of amalgams or amalgam removal, you know, incorrect amalgam removal without safety precautions. That creates a lot of toxicity. Um, I think a lot of people are still unfortunately eating tuna, like there's no tomorrow as their main protein source, uh, which is really, you know, and I do so many social media posts on tuna and (laughs) try and explain this to people it's yeah it's just really really toxic you know we, we can't eat that fish anymore unfortunately pretty much at all and just the overall seafood and fish intake in some people is really high because you know they think that they're doing a great job and being healthy um getting their omega-3 fats but you know in effect um they're creating a lot of toxicity And unfortunately, you know, it's a bit of a gamble in relation to genetics. So some people might be completely fine with that and they're able to detoxify. But, um, you know, there's a lot more awareness now around methylation and that liver pathway uh, not working for a lot of people, you know, due to their poor genetics. And that's where a lot of our heavy metals get detoxified. So the worst combination you can have is someone with really poor methylation genetics and a lot of exposure to mercury. And they're going to accumulate that and have really um, obvious effects from that. So, I mean, everyone has a degree of metal toxicity these days. You know, mercury is in the water, it's in the air, it's, it's in the environment. And unfortunately, we can't really help that But some of the obvious things that people can do is just stop eating tuna, watch their overall fish intake and seafood intake um, and get rid of their amalgams, you know, ideally with a really good holistic, environmentally aware dentist um, and, yeah, and detoxify with a practitioner.
0: Yeah, I've always wondered um – who thought it was a good idea to put the most toxic substance known to man in our mouth? Um, I've never really been able to comprehend that. Yeah. Um,
1: and they're still in denial of it as well, which is quite tragic.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of issues surrounding that whole field and that whole area of, um, you know, mercury exposure. But I, I was recently reading a couple of um, posts think it was a specific blog that i was reading and this practitioner was talking about the fact that teeth actually are able to heal and repair themselves of cavities once the diet has been corrected and the offending um, intake of certain foods has been removed and i found that absolutely amazing because i was always of the opinion that once there was a cavity or something in the tooth that it, it couldn't heal itself. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that necessarily is the case, but it was an interesting perspective that this person was talking about.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. And look, I have seen that in clinic as well. And with dental health, what's really obvious from hair mineral analysis is um, the calcium and magnesium levels, definitely, but also molybdenum levels. So not many people supplement molybdenum or look into that but it's a really important trace mineral that prevents cavities so if someone is low in calcium and magnesium because they're stressed all the time and they're not eating molybdenum foods or they're just not retaining it it's a pretty high chance they're going to have cavities develop so yeah Mm. addressing that is really important
0: yeah it's interesting point you bring up there about molybdenum and on that same train of thought If you come across somebody who has a high level of one of these toxic elements in them, so say they're toxic with mercury or they're toxic with aluminium or a range of other heavy metals, what's your standard approach for chelation therapy or or removing those um, toxic elements from the body?
1: yeah so I don't really have a standard approach as such but I think the foundation has to be about replacing the good mineral antagonists first right So first we have to make sure that that person has their zinc and their selenium to actually you know kick out those toxic metals um, because I think what you know most people don't realize or you know forget from um, uni college days is that, Zinc, cadmium and mercury, for example, are in the same column in the periodic table, which means they have similar molecular properties. So if someone's deficient in zinc and there's cadmium and mercury available, the body will still use those metals to do the enzyme functions that zinc is supposed to do because they're you know, good enough in terms of their molecular structure so the first thing would be to make sure that you've got enough of the good minerals that the body can use so replacing that um and then it's really individual and i think it depends on the level of toxicity um how much the person can afford which unfortunately you know is, is a factor we have to consider um you know my perfect scenario would be the person would be taking liver support nutrients to make sure their bile is flowing and they would be taking some binders you know to bind the heavy metals and they would be taking some coriander liquid and some alpha lipoic acid to make sure that there's antioxidant protection for mercury so it's kind of you know you have to look at every aspect of it but I guess it just comes down to what's the person willing to do and how motivated are they in the detox process. So usually I think, you know, if someone's done their research and they understand the damage that's being caused by the toxicity, um, they're quite keen to do a full extensive protocol. And I think the other point is people need to be realistic about the timing of detoxification so it's not something that we can do with a liver cleanse over a month or you know, some sort of juice fast or, you know, it's a long-term process. And the other part of it is you have to make sure that your methylation pathway is being supported, so providing those B vitamins and whatever else is needed to make sure that the liver is able to actually do that job um, and make sure that their gut is healthy and they can actually excrete those metals in the stool. So, you know, there's so many parts to it, but, yeah, it has to be a complete strategy and i cover all of that um in the training because it's so important i just think every person probably needs to do a proper heavy metal detox at some stage in their life you know every um human because it's just become such a major problem
0: i'd agree it's quite prolific really the amount of these toxic substances that are in the environment and i'm moving towards the opinion now that these things all these toxic exposures and these poisons are probably the leading cause of a lot of uh, chronic disease so mm. I really am resonating with you on on what you're saying here about being able to identify the cause and the source of these things um, understanding how the body's dealing with it through the hair manual analysis and then going in and, and doing these targeted detoxification uh, Practices. Yeah. Now, the the other thing, Maria, is that I know you've developed quite the um, following, and you've got a, a really great community of like minded practitioners who are using hair mineral analysis now in their practices. You're doing some training, and you're really motivating clinicians to get excited about hair mineral analysis. So, do you want to talk a little bit more about the community that you've um, been working on? Uh, developing and some of the uh, educational um, practices that you've been uh, developing as well Mm -hmm. around hair mineral analysis yeah
1: yeah absolutely so i started a facebook group called hair analysis for health practitioners um, a few years ago and At the time I launched um, like just a a quick one-hour webinar as a starting point in the training and then my clinic just got so busy, you know, I couldn't commit to to doing the full training for a while Um, and this year I've actually been able to put the whole course together to the extent that I felt covered a whole bunch of different areas that would just enable any practitioner to do the course doing hair analysis and be able to interpret it correctly and I think you know one of my main motivators in um, starting that group was that the advice I was getting from the reports that were coming from the labs um, was often just not very helpful because a lot of those reports are computer generated based on the, the numbers that come up on the mineral profile and the computer program, it's not really able to actually interpret that in light of the case or in light of everything that's going on. And I just felt that there wasn't really that holistic approach that was more focused on, well, great, now I've got this report, but what do I actually do with that with my client and how do I integrate that into my treatment plan? So that practical clinic component just wasn't there. And that's where, you know, I felt that I could offer some value because it's all about, you know, using that um, as a tool. So it's all it is really is, you know, hair analysis is a tool just like so many other tools that we have in clinic, but it's what you do with it and how you use it that can really um, create a great outcome for someone's treatment. So, yeah, that was the motivation. And then I just wanted to get people talking about, minerals and, uh, you know, doing the tests and posting them in the group and getting everyone's opinion. Uh, And, you know, what I love as well is my original hair analysis mentors are actually members of the group. And, you know, when they have the time, they come in and provide their really valuable insights, you know, because they've been doing this for many, many more years than I have and um, can be extremely helpful to other people just starting out. So, Yeah, I just, I love the interaction and it's quite a specific area. So I just think it does deserve, you know, a special place in Facebook land um, where, you know, people can get that quick feedback from a whole range of practitioners.
0: And are any practitioners able to join up to that Facebook group or is it a, a private group?
1: Um, it's a private group in terms of, you know, I just make sure that they're actually a practitioner. So you, I'll ask in the questions to provide their association number. So anyone who's a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, chiropractor, integrative doctor, um, there's some psychologists in the groups as well, um, So in the group. So, um, yeah, as long as they're a practicing practitioner or a student, so if they can provide, you know, their college um name and their student number that's fine as well so they can start learning about it you know for their future practice but yeah i just want it to make sure it's not open to the public that's all
0: yeah absolutely and in regards to the courses and the education workshops that you've been running um you mentioned that you have been working on one and you've recent, recently released that so how do people or practitioners um get access to this course
1: so um, if they join the group, the Facebook group, which is Hair Analysis for Health Practitioners, um, there's a lot of info there, or they can simply just go to my website, which is uh, truefoodsnutrition.com.au, so foods with an S, True Foods Nutrition, and a look under the Education tab, and they can have access to the course and they can see um, the different modules that are covered, they can read the testimonials from people who've completed it. So, you know, they can see whether it's the right fit and also it doesn't have any set um, time limit. So you can start the course whenever you want to, you can take as long as you want to to finish it and you can refer back to it as often as you need to. So what I've put together there is also a set of clinical templates and summaries. So, for example, with heavy metals, there's a summary for every toxic metal how we acquire it so you can explain that to your clients. Uh, What are the minerals that they block, what are the effects on the body, what are the treatments, um, treatment options that we can choose from. So you've got that as a summary that can just be really easily referred to in your consult. And there's also summaries about you know the metabolic types, dietary recommendations, you know, if someone's a fast metabolizer or a slow metabolizer, so it's really easy to integrate that into your consult as well. So, um, yeah, they can access it anytime and uh, there's just over seven hours of um, recorded material plus lots of references um, yeah, and references to books that I found really, really helpful on hair analysis so that, you know, people can study the area much further.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a really comprehensive course and um, from what I can gather, people have been – getting a lot out of it. I've read some of the testimonials that you've been um, receiving uh, and uh, people have been posting up in the Facebook group. So, well done. It sounds like uh, a lot of practitioners are getting a lot of really great benefit from it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a labor of love. It, It did take a lot of time to put together and kind of just, you know, extra evenings and stuff after clinic work. But yeah, I just really wanted to summarize it put it all together so anyone can just pick it up and learn how to interpret it correctly and use it in clinic and i think it's just going to benefit people ongoing and it's also i mean just you know we're in covid times at the moment a lot of people have been affected a lot of practitioners i think have taken quite a big hit you know especially if they haven't been practicing online um, this year and I think um, hair analysis is something that can be really easily implemented into your clinic in a profitable way and can be done completely remotely. So you don't need to cut someone's hair sample. They can do that themselves. You give them the instructions. So all of that stuff is covered in the course, you know, the business side of how to market it, how to explain it, how to promote it and, you know, because once, people understand it once the public understands how it works and what it shows and it's, you know, um, has that completely clear picture of what it does and doesn't do, it's very easy for them to just go, yeah, okay, I'll try it, you know, this sounds great. Um, So, yeah, I'm hoping that it's also a business support um, that's definitely grown my clinic practice, you know, exponentially. So I'm hoping it can do that for others as well.
0: That's excellent, Maria. Um, Yeah, well done. I'm so glad that it's going really well for you. Thank Um, you. In conclusion today, was there any final messages or thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with?
1: Um, I would say just, you know, start and give it a go. So if you're not currently using hair analysis, just do your own or, you know, do one of your kids or your family members so you can – Um, you know, you already have a lot of information about their health or your health, so then it's going to be quite easy to pick up a lot of insights from the hair analysis. And I think once you try it out on a couple of people and do the course, it's just so much easier to understand what you're looking at um, and, you know, you're never going to be stuck for things to interpret in it or, you know, for insights. There's always insights that come out of that test. So, you know, you're not going to be sitting there and going, oh, why did I order this test and wasted this person's money? You know, that's never going to happen. There's always things that you can use to help them. So, yeah, I would just say, you know, don't be afraid, give it a go, Um, do a test and um, start understanding uh, what all the parameters mean and yeah, just give it a go.
0: That's fantastic, Maria. Thank you so much for coming along today. I Really appreciate your time. It's been great to get some more insight into the hair mineral analysis and I've learned a lot from you. I'm looking forward to actually um, you know, spending a bit more time investigating hair mineral analysis. And, yeah, you've inspired me, so thank you.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I love talking about it.
0: You're very welcome. And, um, yeah, for anyone who was uh, looking to get in contact with you, are you able to just um let us know what your website uh was again
1: mm-hmm. so it's truefoodsnutrition.com.au and um the other thing i forgot to mention is i do try and do mentoring so one on one hair analysis mentoring when i've got availability at the moment i um pretty am much booked out until february next year so it's a little bit tricky But I do try and fit the mentoring sessions in, you know, whenever I can. So that's another option if um, people have like a few cases that they wanted to discuss. Um, But yeah, under the education tab of um, truefoodsnutrition.com.au, you can find all the information there.
0: That sounds like a great service. And I'm sure that there'll be many uh, practitioners who are very interested in that. Thank you so much, Maria. I really appreciate your time and um, hopefully we can touch base again soon in the new year. Absolutely.
1: Thanks so much, Daniel.
0: You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com slash podcast and join the discussion. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and become part of our growing community of like-minded health professionals. Until next time.